Father, thank you for Jesus, and thank you for your word. Thank you that you have chosen to and desired to reveal yourself to us and reconcile with us and be with us and make space for us. I pray that you would help us to see you clearly uh, afresh, Jesus. I pray you, you would remind us about what's true this morning and you'd invite us to, um, to use a gift that you've given us. And so Lord, I just pray that uh, wherever different men and women are coming into this room today, whether they're, they're working through guilt or doubt or shame or anxiety or a lack of sleep due to a new baby, wherever they're at or a jet lag, or wherever they're at this morning, I pray that you would meet with us and you would remind us that you love to meet with us and that you love us. It says in scripture, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, and that joy is us. You didn't need us, you wanted us, and you, you call us to yourself through moments like this and gatherings like this. And I pray that we'd encounter you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Restored Church fam. How are you guys doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so before we start, I want to get a little weird. All right, I don't know if you guys ever have, <laughs> you're like, what's going to happen? <laughs> Dude, we already hit French kissing and water sausages. I don't know where this is going to go. Uh, I don't know if you ever have moments where you step out of what's happening around you for a second and you observe it, and then you let yourself step back into it to be present with it. I, I had this, um, my daughter Olivia had a, uh, ballet recital yesterday, and um, some guys were there. It was, it was a wild time. Um, but one of the things that happened is I, I, I've gone to recitals of hers before, and I've had moments where I've gone in, and honestly, I've just kind of been like, oh, man, I'm just waiting to see my daughter, and when that happens, like, I'm good to go internally. Like, we can leave and, and, uh, and stuff. And then, and then yesterday, like, I allowed myself to be present and watch all the ballet. Like, actually watch it, actually listen to the music, actually allow myself to, to be there. I think Will was crying, to be honest. Uh, he also was letting it happen. I, but but I, I, like, took in what was happening, man. I let, like, the music hit me. And, like, I teared up a few times. And, and then when, when Liv's up there and stuff's happening, I'm taking what she's doing, and I'm realizing, like, this is the only moment. Th this, is, this is the only time this is going to happen. Like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime moment, truly. And, and it might sound weird. What I want to say is, is this gathering is a once-in-a-lifetime moment. Likely, the men and women in this room will never be in the same room ever again. And even if you were to go real philosophical, uh, Kyle answered your questions after gathering. Even if you were to physically get us all in the same room, in even a few months' time, you will not be the same person from a spiritual maturity standpoint, an emotional maturity standpoint, a physical maturity standpoint, like there are unique things about this moment you're sitting in. And so often we can just breeze through life and miss what's happening. And what's happening is not only are you in a room with a unique group of people, it's in the presence of the triune God at this moment in your development. And you'll never get this back. And so what I want to invite you to do is to, to, to ask yourself, are you present in moments like these? Because I think your ability to be present uh, 
vastly impacts your ability to experience God in these spaces. Does, it, does, it, does that make sense? And so, so that's what I want to talk about this morning, actually, is this idea of gathering as the church. Um, if you're new, we're doing a series called Renew. It's only the second week, and we're looking at what it means to be a healthy member of a church. And we're talking about what it means to be a church member because uh, for a couple different reasons. Um, one is we're moving to a, a new season. We, we have a second pastor finally, and we're, and we're moving into a new season, and we're going to have some different ministry focuses, and, and, and we kind of want to see even who is with us ready to move forward into that future together. But, but it's not just that. It's, it's also um, where we've been. It's not just the future we're, we're moving into. Um, during the pandemic, I, I talked about this last week, 35% of American Christians left their churches. Only about half went back at the end of the pandemic. Um, every pastor I know, I have a pretty large relational network. I know literally hundreds of pastors. Um, everyone's church is smaller than it was pre-pandemic. And the data is showing that those who did return are significantly less connected to their local churches than they have ever been. It's kind of like we're rusty, right? Um, and again, we're, we're not, uh, for a lot of people, maybe they didn't jump back into a gospel community or a small group, which again, where so much life change happens accountability, encouragement, consistency. But even before the pandemic, being a member of a church in our culture was countercultural. Not attending, a ch- again, not attending a church. Plenty of people did that. But actually belonging to a church where they could count on you and you could count on them. Like if you didn't show to something, it mattered because you're family and they depended on you. Um, that was counterculture. Again, for a lot of uh, Christians in the West, uh, church can kind of be viewed like uh, an event you go to. And a lot of megachurches even set up this way. I'm not hating on it. Just the way it's set up is it's kind of an event. You're, you're mostly anonymous coming in. You might randomly know a greeter at your service. Uh, it's like, hey, you again. Uh, but, but it's kind of a big thing. It's an event you go to. I think about like when I go to NBA games or uh, we, we went to a Padre game a few weeks ago. Um, and I just remember, man, we are anonymous in this space. Like, they, they don't know. The players don't know you're here. Uh, most of the fans don't know you're here. Um, you could as, you might as well be watching this on TV. And we kind of view our church gathering experience in that way. Like, I could show up. I might not. It's really about what I experience, and then I go. But to belong to a community where you're re- actually receiving something from a real person, and you're giving something to other real people, that's countercultural. And I think it was countercultural for a couple of reasons. I want to highlight two of them this morning. Um, they're the idea of commitment phobia and consumerism. Uh, commitment phobia and consumerism. Um, commitment phobia, uh, again, we live in a country that is built on consumerism. Uh, for better or for worse, it is, empo- I would say for worse in a lot of ways, but we are empowered by consumerism. So much of our economy at this point in human history is built on consumerism. Um, and then on top of that, many of us, not all of us, many of us belong to uh, the most commitment-phobic generation in the history of the world, uh, millennials. And, uh, and again, um, you see commitment-phobia play out in a ton of different ways. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to organize an event, and then you check the day of who's coming. After they've already said, I'll be there, and messages start to roll in, like, I think so. And then you say, oh, I thought you were in. Yeah, I'm tired. You go, why are you tired? I had work today. Don't you have, I know, it's just, it's hard, I'm taught, you know, and, and there's so much of that in our culture. Uh, comedian Aziz Ansari once joked that before texting existed, if you made plans with your buddy Phil to grab a beer at 8 p.m. and Phil wasn't at the bar by 8.15, Phil was dead, <laughs> all right? 
but we don't want to commit to plans. Uh, this happens in romantic relationships. Uh, I, I led a college ministry, and we'd encourage uh, the students do something called a DTR, which sounds real close to a wild thing that we weren't encouraging at the time. Uh, uh, time and place, you know. And, and, uh, but, but the DTR was define the relationship. And it was like the most Christian lingo thing in the world, and part of me really hated it. But why we had it was is, is if you're catching feelings for someone, and it's been going for a while, at some point you should probably let them know uh, or like let that dream die and release them from that ever happening in the future. But you can't ass- hope that's going to happen and stay close. Um, uh, this way of doing relationships is chronicled in the millennial anti-love story and cult classic, uh, The 500 Days of Summer. You guys have seen this movie. Uh, it's a story about a guy named Tom, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and a girl named uh, Summer, played by uh, Zoe Deschanel of New Girl fame. Uh, they have a, cl- from all intents and purposes, at the beginning, they have a classic rom-com meet-cute moment in an elevator. Uh, Tom is listening to The Smiths, the 80s you know, British band, uh, on a Walkman. And she's like, your Walkman is so cool. No one has Walkmans anymore. And is that the Smiths I hear? And he's like, yes, okay. Um, Again, love connection, right? It's a movie. And they start talking and dating and sleeping in each other's houses and having sex and buying furniture together. And at the entire time, Tom is wondering where they stand. And throughout the movie, it's like him. It's kind of weird. He talks to his little sister and to his friends. He's like, what? He's like, you need to ask her what you are. And he keeps asking for, uh, like, what are we? And, And she just says, hey, labels are for losers, she says, we're fun. And uh, one day, uh, he, he just keeps pushing, and they have a fight. And he says, dude, what the heck is this, right? And she just says, we're just friends. And at this point, Tom snaps. If you've seen the movie, he says, friends, this isn't how you treat a friend. Kissing in the copy room, holding hands in Ikea, shower sex, friends, get that out of here. It says something different, but it's similar. Now, what's going on with with, uh, uh, was Summer was fine to use Tom. She was communicating implicitly, I will use you as long as you meet my needs or wants and you're fun. And if that changes, I'll move on. Once you require commitment, you're a liability. And so um, I'm not committing to you. What I want is the most important thing. And consumerism kind of meets this. And um, it's moved from, from, consumerism's moved from, like, material things to relational and sexual desire. Uh, We've commodified the human experience and human connection. Um, With things like hookup apps, uh, even our romantic lives and our sexuality are being so blatantly consumerized. Pornography is a similar thing. Uh, You pick someone to use or experience whatever, and then you basically move on. I know that's not how everyone uses apps and there's an appropriate way to date and all that stuff. I'm just saying for a lot of people, that's how they approach the apps. What can I get out of this, right? Um, is there a person good enough for me? Uh, and, and is there someone who wants to do what I want to do? And then you kind of keep it moving. And you might be wondering, what does this have to do with membership in a local church? And the answer is a lot. If this is our, the worldview and the kind of the, our, our cultural um, moment with, in terms of committing to your romantic relationships, your, f- your familiar relationships, if they're ravaged by commitment phobia, it's going to impact your spiritual relationships. There's no way they can't drip into how we view church, how we view our relationship with the bride of Christ. And so when we look for a church, we don't tend to ask, who is Jesus calling me to? We tend to be like summer in 500 days of summer, man. Who am I having fun with? Who's funny? Do I like this? Is this easy? Is this requiring work or commitment from me? And if it does, we we often move on. 
And so in the American church, it, in the American church, the church is something we consume but rarely commit in covenant to. And so we might attend a, a church gathering when we're feeling, when we're feeling spiritual, uh, right? Check. Commit to reorient my weekend schedule with a Sunday gathering in mind. No way. Like, come on, man. Uh, meet with leaders to encourage me and cry with me in my time of need. Check. Commit to, um, commit to submit to leaders who might tell me what I want is wrong or unwise according to what Scripture says. No way. You're here to encourage me. You're not here to challenge me. Uh, attend, a church guild, uh, attend a church gathering in a building paid for by the church fund and receive from a staff that is supported by the offerings of the church. Check. Commit to give a sizable chunk of my own money to that church each month that can be counted on barring a change of income. Come on, bro. Like, we're not, we're not doing that. Hang out with people who make me feel good about myself. Check. Work out conflicts when people make me feel real bad about myself or it gets weird. No, no way. I think, I think God's calling me to a new church, you know. And so in our romantic relationships, our fear is someone better might come along with a better sense of humor, a more, you know, scintillating conversationalist, easier on the eyes, better lover, whatever it is. And we put off commitment as long as possible, using as many people as possible until we enter into a dysfunctional marriage that is precisely dysfunctional because we've trained ourselves to, to, to take from others, not to give. And we wonder why we keep bouncing around. And when we bring this into the idea of the church, we go, man, I'm always looking for like a better church, a better group of friends, a better family. Lord knows better preaching. And then we move on. It's like we were never a couple, dude. We, we were like just kind of hanging out. But today I want to talk about what it means to commit to God's church in, in the gathering in spite of the church's flaws. Uh, me and Jackie were talking to a friend the other day about dating, and Jackie basically just said, everyone settles. Just so you know. <laughs> everyone settles. Okay? Everyone who's ever been married, you will see someone better looking than your spouse, right? In 20 years' time, right? Like, that's just true. You, like, this is, it's, it's true. It happens. Someone who's funnier, who's smarter, Who's, who agrees with you more often, right? Whatever it is, the longer you go in marriage, there's these things, um, but it's about a commitment you make to the other person. Does that make sense? Uh, like no one is perfect. By, and by the way, if you're with that other person, it'd be the same thing. It's just they, they pop in a certain way, your spouse doesn't or whatever. Um, but, but faithfulness is going, I love you and I'm committed to you and I've chosen you and I'm with you. Jesus loves his bride. Um, it's the only thing he's coming back for. Do we love the church as well? By the way, uh, I'm not even encouraging you guys to join Restored in this series. It's a series on church membership, but you got to join a church if you're a follower of Jesus. I, it doesn't need to be this one. I, I really want to say that. Like, dude, I can't do it. I just can't do it. No AC, whatever. Uh, out of cold brew, whatever it is. Uh, I, I got it. This sermon, whatever it is. Like, I got to go. That's fine. But you need a space where you belong and you are known, actually known, and loved and challenged and walked alongside with through the highs and lows of life. Your, your soul's desperate for that. And so give yourself to a church, whichever one it is. And so last week I unpacked what church membership is and how, and, and so what we're going to do over the next four weeks is talk about how to be a healthy church member. And we're going to be looking at what we've called them the four G's, uh, historically restored for members, uh, gather, go, grow, give. Uh, Grant's going to preach two of these. Um, and today I'm going to look at this idea of the gathering, gathering together. 
this right now, this is a Sunday gathering. Acts chapter 2, I want to read a passage that kind of sets up our whole series. We'll probably look at every week. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, describing the early church after Jesus ascended, post the Spirit coming. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right, to Scripture, to, to fellowship, which is the Greek word koinonia. It's, it's deep connection through hardship. Don't think bad potluck. Fellowship hall. It's like ride or die community. To the breaking of bread, you do eat together, for the record. Potluck's part of it, it's just not what fellowship is. And to prayer. Everyone, and by the way, it says they were devoted to these things. Not had a casual interest. They devoted themselves to these things. And it says everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. By the way, this isn't a cult. They weren't forced to do it. They were willingly doing it, and it wasn't giving up everything you own. It was making sure that no one in the family was in abject poverty. So it's not that, it's not that no one had anything. It's that no one had nothing. They took care of each other. It's not that no one had a nice house. It's no one didn't have a house. Does that make sense? Verse 46, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And so they were devoted to the church, as in to one another. But they also devoted to, to, to gathering with one another. It wasn't just fellowship. It wasn't just meals. I think as a church, we're really good at kicking it and eating together. Like we do that. Kyle's like, there's going to be food at this thing. You already know. It's going to be food and drinks, cocktail, whatever. It's, it's going to happen. That's our church. But, but is there, is there a, a Jesus we're gathering around, reminding ourselves why we're a community? It's not just to have friends. Some of you guys, maybe that's why you're here. I want more for you than that. It's not a bad place to start, terrible place to end. People will eventually let you down in real ways. Jesus wants. But what I also want you to catch is the gathering was the lifeblood of the church. Even before the spear comes at Pentecost, he says, gather together in the upper room and wait. And in that context, God will prepare you for mission. Acts 2, people are getting saved like crazy. Poverty is being alleviated. The world's being changed. Their gathering empowered them to do world-changing work. The church is supposed to be involved in like evangelism and disciple-making and justice and renewal and the church's mission, if you're doing it for real, not just Kyle and Kyle, it's hard work to give yourself to the glory of Jesus and benefit us. By the way, we have Ashley and Scott Stroman here, another couple planning a house church in a suburban context. Different thing, hard work, hard work. And so the church's mission is hard, and the, and the gathering gave them the spiritual nourishment to provide the energy they needed to do what they needed to do. What I also want to say is it's hard being a Christian in 2022 in California really everywhere, let's be honest, in America. It, it is not easy. And again, it's, it's, it's throughout church history, it's been a lot harder, and it is harder in other places. Again, you could hear stories. But, it, but it's costing us now to be a Christian. There's a social status that can take a hit. There are jobs you might not get if you publicly identify with the Jesus of the Scriptures. Not that Jesus is my homeboy who affirms everything you want to do, but actually goes, there's a right and a wrong, a black and a white, an okay and a not okay. And so we need spiritual energy. We need times with the Savior and with each other to encourage us. I've heard stories of Christians in China who walk over an hour each. I don't know if you guys have heard stories like this. They walk over an hour each way 
at night at the threat of their own lives just to gather with other believers and worship. And when I hear stories like that, I feel inspired, but I also feel kind of ashamed because I don't have that in me. I mean, doesn't Sunday gathering feel hard to devote yourself to? Like life gets busy, man. It fills up quick in our society. Monday through Friday, you have kids, extra, you, you keep adding stuff. There's so much happening. And plus, man, gatherings can be so long. And the sermons can be really long. <laughs> One author writes, I love this, he says, I assume you're like me. I can get itchy-skinned and scratchy-throated after an hour or so of church. I can get distracted and cranky when it goes too long. My feet ache, my backside numbs, my eyes glaze, my mind fogs, my belly growls. I find myself fighting back yawns and then not fighting them back anymore. Letting them gape and roar, a signal to my oppressors, let my people go. And I'm the pastor. If gathering's hard, it's been hard for a long time. This isn't a new problem. Acts chapter 20. It's a funny story. Sad, funny, miraculous. There's a lot going on. Um, Acts chapter 20, verse 7 12 says, On the first day of the week, a Sunday, we assembled to break bread. Paul spoke to them, and since he was about to depart the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. Paul's on an apostolic missionary trip. He's there to encourage local leaders, encourage their group. He's like, I want to make the most of the time. We, we can't record this and send it to you. I can't get a podcast going so you can catch up on episodes. I've got to do it, uh, Bill O'Reilly, I've got to do it live, okay? And, uh, and it says he kept on talking until midnight. And says there were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were assembled. They are, they are assembled in a room upstairs. We have windows, no glass, no screen. Old school Middle Eastern architecture. And a young man named Eutychus was sitting on a windowsill and sank into a deep sleep as Paul kept on talking. When he was overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. <laughs> It's a long sermon. It killed him. <laughs> By the way, I love like Paul's composure. Paul went down, bent over him, embraced him, and said, Don't be alarmed. He's alive. <laughs> After going upstairs, breaking the bread and eating, Paul talked a long time until dawn. He preached so long, a guy fell asleep. He died. Heals him. Let's take communion, have a bit of food, a little bit of wine. I'm going to teach again. And they're human. They get tired. And then they brought the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. I mean, you got, two, you got two quotes here. You have um, verse 7 says he kept on talking. Uh, verse 11 says he, he talked a long time. Like Luke wants you to know, I was there and it was hard. <laughs> I'm a travel companion. I mean, this guy's long-winded. The whole Torah summaries, like Bible Project Live without the video. Like it's just a lot, Paul. I remember um, I, I went on a trip, a uh, similar trip. I, I went to Anthem Denver to encourage Josh Lewis and his team. They had about 20 of their leaders and we went, and um, I'll never forget it. Uh, we were going for about two hours to Q&A, leadership. They wanted, like, help with shepherding stuff and thinking through small groups and thinking through um, community rhythms, different stuff like that, the, the, the beginning stages of a church. And I'm doing that. And I, I even kind of felt like Josh was like, let's just keep this going, right? And it was a weeknight. And there was kids there. It was, no, it was a Friday, but, but there was kids there. It, it, been a, it was technically a weeknight or whatever, but... And, and it was going, and I was like, man, I think that's it. And we, and we went from the, the lounge to, like, the living room, and he's like, let's keep this going. And, uh, and, and then when we're in the living room, he's like, hey, let's keep this going. Let's go to the patio now. 
and uh, we'll do some drinks and just keep talking. And I, I was like, man, I was feeling a little tired. But I was like, you know what? He's asked me to do this. I'm here to do this. You know, I want to give them what they want. And uh, so we go out and we continue to talk. And uh, his brother Jacob, uh, his, his wife Sarah preached here a few months ago. His brother Jacob's like, hey, I'm going to check on the kids. And he never came back. <laughs> we had like an hour and a half left. And Sarah's like, dude, he, he went upstairs and just fell. The next day he's like, I didn't even mean to, man. Like I, I told myself five minutes. Uh, I really did want to check on the kids. Uh, and so I, I've been there. Gatherings can be long. They can be hard to prioritize. And again, though, the church has always struggled with this. Um, it, was, it was messier than what was laid out just in Acts 2. They are devoted, but they have times where they, 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 they move away unintentionally over time. And there's moments they're just humans and they're weak. Even if something's good for them, they struggle to get there. Um, in the letter to the Hebrews, the author's writing to a Hebrew audience. And it's a really pertinent letter for us today, I believe. Parts of it are. Because he's writing to a people who are considering falling away from the faith because persecution is ratcheting up in their context. The entire letter of Hebrews, if you read it through, it's basically Jesus is better, don't give up. Jesus is better, don't give up. And they were, they were Hebrew Christians, and basically persecution kicked up. They were losing jobs and businesses. They were losing respect in the community for being associated with Jesus and his community. They were put in prison and some even put to death. And they were asking the question, I'm a Hebrew Christian. I used to be just Jewish. Now I've added the Jewish Messiah. Um, maybe the old covenant was better. Like when I was just doing my Jewish thing, Torah, circumcision, kind of the basics, Passover, like it was fine for me. There was no persecution. I've since come under this man who promised me abundant life, and my life has gotten a lot harder. WTH, you know, what the heck? Is Jesus worth it? And they're considering going back, and the author keeps saying, no, no, Jesus is better than the Old Covenant. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Abraham. Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is better than the, the, the old sacrifices and the priests and the temple. He's better than all of that, and he's worth it. Don't give up. Hang on. Keep doing what you've been doing. Jesus is worth losing social standing. And one of the things they were considering leaving behind in particular was the worship gathering as a community. And, the wor- and he, by the way, the worship gathering where they worship Jesus, it would have been very different from what they experienced in the Old Covenant in a Jewish synagogue. The worship was different than the Old Covenant because there was a new sacrifice and a new priest and a new way to interact with God through grace. In the beginning of Hebrews 10, um, the author unpacks how we are forever forgiven if we're in Christ. It's an amazing passage to read. It says, because of what Jesus did, he, he sacrificed once for all time those who are being saved. That for those who are in Christ, that you don't need to um, keep confessing and feeling terrible about yourself. You can know you're forgiven completely. And then it moves to the second half of Hebrews 10. And, and he says, you know, in light of that truth that Jesus has made a way for you to be in relationship with God, you should enjoy that relationship. You should do everything you can to experience the benefits of that relationship. So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, he says this. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain. That is through his flesh. 
Again, think inaugurated like presidential inauguration. It's the beginning of a new season, a new, uh, someone else is in charge now. There is a new covenant. There's a new way of relating to God. There's a new administration, and it's Jesus. And, and he deals with us not according to law, but according to grace. And he says, come to me. Verse 20 says, and, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. He's saying Jesus has cleansed you of all of your guilt and all of your shame forever. Think about like in the sandlot, forever. It's forever. There's no going back on it. And if that's true... Verse 23, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promises faith, let's hang on, let's not give it up, let's not walk away, let's not quit. Let's hold on to the confession. We've confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. We confess that we're following him. And let us consider, uh, and let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. Again, the author's message is Jesus is better and he's worth it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. And some of you need to hear this message today that Jesus is worth it because we are. We're experiencing a shift culturally in society's view of the church talked about this before we've gone from being the like prudish goody two-shoes to like what's wrong with america and the world pretty quickly like you're a prude to you're evil and uh, that can be hard to deal with i don't know you guys i like to be liked i mentioned this a few weeks ago i don't like to be misunderstood and america is a place to not be liked and be misunderstood as a follower of jesus it's this way all over the world for the record it always has been we're like kind of late to the game in a lot of ways um, and some of you guys are even wondering, like, persecution's starting to kick up slowly, and it is. People are like, oh, no, it's not. It's, no, it can, it can impact you. It's not. You're not getting put to death. You're not going to jail. You will get turned down on jobs. This is a reality in England and Canada already pretty, pretty regularly, so that, that's a real thing. Then you add just the, the sea of deconstruction that's happening and uh, people walking away from their faith, actually saying, it's not worth it. Do you guys want to come with? It's not worth it. Jesus isn't better. Conservative politics is better. Liberal politics is better. Whatever. Smoking weed, doing yoga, and just chilling on Sunday is better. Whatever it is. Like, I've got a better way, and it's easier, and it doesn't come with anything that's hard. And some of you guys might be wondering, man, is Jesus worth it? Is he worth hanging on to? And I would just say to you today, just like the author of Hebrews, you might not be wrestling, is this a better covenant? But I do want to ask you, is it a better life without him? I mean, can you imagine going back to a life where you had to create your own identity? Do you remember that life? When you, when, when you weren't, like, fighting it, but it was, like, your actual worldview. I create my own identity. I validate myself. Where you actually thought you had to have everyone be happy with you. Where you, where you believed love was conditional. Where guilt and shame were close companions. And you, you, if you didn't, weren't sure if you believed in God, but part of why you didn't want to believe in God is because you were afraid of him if he was there. You knew you were guilty. 
Um, for a lot of us, addictions were numerous. Loneliness was acute. There was no bigger purpose to live for. Everything seemed trivial and temporary. If we were honest with ourselves. Again, church is hard and messy and persecution. Honestly, it sucks. Even at the, 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 the chilled level we have in our culture, comparative to the world and church history. But it's not, walking away from that isn't better. Walking away from that isn't worth walking away from Jesus. Another thing I want to say is, is when we're in a cultural moment like this, we do need this nourishment. Because when you're struggling in your faith, um, we often will isolate, at least from the church, and then oftentimes um, stuff does not get better on its own. If you think about it, we live in a world, a fallen world, with a ton of messages coming after us. Um, I, have this, um, I have this diagram it's a, it's a deconstruction diagram. It's from a book. Honestly, the book's not great. We can talk about it if you want to talk about it. It's not well written. I forget the, the gal's name who wrote it, but this was really helpful to me. She's not a good writer. It, the message is fine. The theology is fine. Just not the best writing. Um, but I thought, I was like, dude, you should have put this in the front, dude, because I would have, you know. Um, we're not going to go through the whole thing, but she, she talks through feeling pain and disappointment in a church experience as you're wrestling through your faith. And then you were met with, unverified or unqualified answers or no answers or even hostility, which leads to like a lot of, you go from disappointment to doubt. And then the next move, there's a move before doubt leads to deconstruction and it's you isolate. It's a common story. You isolate from the church, right? You become apathetic, disengaged, withdrawn. You don't fit in. And then there's a way forward to either reconstruct or disbelief, but, but deconstruction is coming quick if you isolate. Now, I don't want to spend any more time on that diagram. What I do want to say is all of us are being bombarded with messages all day long. And they're all telling us a different story about what the good life is. They're all telling us a different story about what's true and good and beautiful. They're all telling us a different story about our identity. They're all telling us about a different story about meaning and purpose. And we're being bombarded all the time. So we need not just nourishment, but we need to be reminded of a true story. A story we sit under. A story we ritualize. Again, God ritualized um, the, uh, the Exodus with, with the Passover meal. A lot of times we think ritual is negative. No, to, come, to keep coming back to communion and going, oh, this is the story. I mean, I'm, I do this in remembrance of Jesus. And I come back to a story that, that, that there's preaching where I'm sitting under that story is so vital to us. Where the gospel story, the gospel matches is the thing that we're sitting underneath. As, as complex as stuff gets, we go, this is still true, and I move out from here. I'm not hiding like a holy huddle. I move out into a wild world knowing the gospel deeply because I connect to it so frequently. Um, without that, uh, we're not going to make it. Now, we're at a rough moment in the sermon because I haven't read my outline yet. And it's hot in here, right? You can't believe it, can you? Um, so what I want to do is I had three points. We're going to do one, okay? I know. <laughs> Let my people go. It's, it's real. I'm hot too, but, but I want to hit this, 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 this one point. As followers of Jesus, we're called to prioritize the gathering. You're all supposed to partake and participate. We don't have time for that, okay? Next week. <laughs> but to prioritize the gathering, um, to be a gathering is big, man. Um, travel comes up. People get sick. Sometimes you have to work. But as much as it's up to you, I'd encourage you, man, to not be missing uh, very often. Like as much as it's up to you. 
to not go, I'm assuming I'm going to miss twice a month. Because if you miss twice a month, then you're in kids. You're basically not a part of what's happening here, which I've just said is vital, right? Um, again, you get out what you put in. I can't, again, this thing with ballet the other day. I experienced something different because I got there on time. And I, um, like, actually train myself to go, I'm going to do my best to take in what's happening and not be distracted and not be on my phone. One of the best parts of being on vacation the week before was I, I was like second nature to put my phone in airplane mode anytime I texted someone. And uh, much to Grant's chagrin at one point, but uh, just kidding. Uh, but uh, I let him on. Like I texted him and then, you know, so it, it was reasonable. But he wasn't like blowing up my vacation. But, 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 but I did that, which then allowed me, I was like, hey, I'm present and I'm here and it's changing how I'm experiencing what's happening. Does that make sense? And so I want to talk about how to have a more meaningful worship gathering, this idea of prioritizing practically what does that look like. Uh, James Ryan Smith, the spiritual formation author and seminary professor, we're using his book in the identity class. He, he wrote this about how to get the most out of Sunday worship gatherings. And I thought this was really helpful. There's a couple ideas. One is um, pre -pre prepare for Sunday through margin. Pre prepare for Sunday through margin. He says simply getting to worship with the right attitude is a challenge for many of us. The culprit is not our lack of desire, but our lack of temporal margin. The proper attitude for worship cannot be cultivated in the 10 seconds we spend walking through. Uh, he's a, he's a, from an like Anglican background, the narthex, which is a wild way to say lobby, but uh, it's, it's old school church language. We must prepare for worship long before that. One way is to go to bed early on the evening before worship. This will allow us to awaken earlier, which will create some margin in terms of time. We need a few hours to eat and dress and prepare our hearts for worship. Time margin is thus necessary in order to create heart margin. Um, margin also prepares you for the inevitable drama at home on Sunday morning. Okay? Satan's real. Kids are real. I don't know how much they interact. What's causal? What's contributive? But, but we've all had those Sundays, right? We're like, it's just wild. Um, there's a guy named uh, Tony Morita, and he, he says this. He says, prepare for drama at home on Sunday morning. Drama may happen on Saturday night, but very often there's issues at home on Sunday morning. The devil would love to make you grumpy on Sunday morning or distract you, keeping the word from having its effect on you. Gavin Ortland says, so when you climb into your car, tell yourself in advance, someone's probably going to spill their milk or pull their sibling's hair or chuck their Bible out the window. When that happens, I will pray rather than yell. Now, what I've learned is if you have more time and margin, everything's less frantic. So it may mean going to bed earlier and getting up earlier. Again, I'm not trying to make this legalism. I'm trying to go to get the most out of a gathering. It requires preparation. My buddy Jimmy is a varsity head football coach. They don't just walk into games. We haven't thought about this all week. We're just showing up. You have, you have a helmet, right? Yeah, all right, let's do this, right? There, there's preparation, right? Eat a good meal. Get some sleep. Watch film. Like, get ready for what's about to happen in the same way to prepare yourself for something important. Same thing with weddings, guys. A wedding, you think through what's happening. Even if it's not your wedding, you, you view it differently than a baseball game, right? But you can literally just show up. But if it's a wedding, it's important. Uh, how you show up matters. Um, number two, arrive early. Uh, again, this comes with the margin if you have the margin. Now, again, we have kids. It's wild. This is why you might have to prepare. To actually arrive early, you may have to prepare to arrive early. Uh, today, the majority of you guys sitting in this room right now were not here at 10 when worship started. I'm not hating on anybody. I also know. It's summer, and a lot of people are gone. Now, this is targeted messaging, okay? This is an Instagram targeted messaging. I'm just saying that's a reality. Again, I'm a man who does not run on time, okay? That's a weakness of mine. I think it can be a weakness in our church at times. And what I want to say is um, uh, with everyone not being here on time, we're all missing out on experiencing something together. 
Okay. And now I actually, I, I, I'm thinking about sending out a survey. Should we start at 1015? Now, he, here's the thing. I don't want to start at 1015. Everyone's here at 1025. So, so, so if, if, um, does that make sense? Like, 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 like if you were like, Hey, with kids, we can't get here at 10. I want to meet, uh, I want us all to meet us where we're at in this moment. Hey guys, 10 is not realistic. We need to do later. Okay. And we'll get the AC going. Some of the doors shut. We can figure something out. Um, but, but maybe we need to start later. But if it's purely a preparation issue, I would encourage you to, to view this at the same level, at least as you do work. For a lot of you guys, you don't go, oh, I'm going to be 20 minutes late and I have kids. You don't do that with your boss. I would encourage you to go, hey, I want to I prioritize this and get here. Um, Richard Foster, this Quaker guy, he said, <laughs> this, is a f- <laughs> this just made me laugh. He says, enter the service 10 minutes early. Lift your heart in adoration to the king of glory. <laughs> Sweet rhyme. <laughs> but in a real way, if you're in here early, you can go, God, why am I here? You can start to pray. Father, I want to encounter your love today through this gathering. I'm here to encounter you. I'm remembering why I'm here. Which leads to number three, um, come with holy expectancy. Foster encourages this sense of holy expectancy among worshipers. This can be done by a simple prayer. Spirit, speak to me. Jesus, teach me. Father, let me experience your love and power. Again, what do we even expect to happen in these moments? I know that happened at the ballet recital. That's happened to me in a lot of other moments where I just slow down and like look at something and let myself be present. I know sometimes I've started with, let's close your eyes and breathe. Like let yourself be present where you are for a second. I'm not exaggerating when I say, in this seat where I can see all of you, this is a remarkable group of people who are all honored to sit with, who are all honored to worship with. The stories in this room, you guys, you wouldn't believe but when we move quickly, we just see people are kind of in the way or someone we know or, ah, oh, do I need to hug them or what's going on or what, what's happening? Like, we can't. Does that make sense? Even as a pastor, if I get here early, the days that I do get here early, it's such a different situation for me interacting with the men and women in this church. I know that's true for, for all of us. Number four, um, he, he says, uh, he, he encourages people to focus on one aspect of worship that week. If you want to do it as a spiritual discipline, like I'm going to focus in on communion. And just nerd out on it and take it in and Jesus' love in that way. I'm going I'm to really dive into the sermon. I'm going to dive into singing. Um, a thing I want to say about singing too. Guys, I really want to encourage us to become a singing church. There's so much in the New Testament about singing and singing and singing and singing together. And people are like, I'm not the singing type. All of you guys are the singing type. God's called you to sing. I've told the story before. Me and Jackie, you go into a very middle-of-the-road R&B concert. Very middle-of-the-road. Like, tickets available day of. Begging you, like, can you do this? Chicken Master's like, will you do us a solid and come out to see, you know. And, uh, and, and we went, and people are singing their hearts out. I've been to a Los Angeles Clippers game. Not a Lakers game. A Clippers game to see the Celtics. I can't afford a Lakers Celtics game. And we went to a Clippers game in the nosebleeds. And I saw, and Carlos like, of course, there is Clipper enthusiasm and screaming and shouting. We know how to do this, man. Even God, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm a guy. I don't say, yes, you, bro, you, sports. We've got to be more excited than guys at a sports bar. Whoa, my fantasy team shredding. Cool. Jesus is Lord. I'm asking you to get weird. But like you can sing, even if you don't. By the way, millennials, we're addicted to, what if I don't feel like it? It's not authentic. Cool, you obey Jesus. It's not about being authentic. It's about loving Jesus authentically, which means we sacrificially, lovingly serve him. There are many times, there are things my wife wants me to do that I don't want to do. <sighs> my heart's not in it with the dishes. 
It's like, cool, discipline yourself, sacrificial love. Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross. He said, I love them, I'm going to do it. Small thing to, to, to sing. Uh, guys, we can't be too cool to worship Jesus. I do think something happens when you sing, for the record. Like something, ha- not only are we commanded to do it, you're more engaged. You're more present with what's happening. By the way, one of the things I've noticed, last thing I'll say about singing, I've noticed when you sing, the worship sounds better. I'm not exaggerating. Like I've been like, oh, no, you know, whatever. By the way, I'm not critiquing you guys or anything, worship team. You guys are amazing. But like where I'm like, oh, am I really into it? It's like take a second to get yourself into it. Again, easier if you're here early. But man, I want to encourage you guys to sing uh, when we gather. Because we're also, we're encouraging each other as we sing, but we're also reminding ourselves of the truth. Some of the, dude, some of the lyrics Carlo was singing earlier were freaking fire for your life if you believe them. So you sing so that you can believe them more. Um, you sing so that you can believe them more, and, and you sing to remind yourself of what is true. Um, and you sing because you're celebrating that they are true. There's so much to, to sing about. And then last, uh, last two, these are actually not from James Bryan Smith, which means they're going to be subpar. They're from me. Um, but, but two more I have to get the most out of the gathering. Work out your conflicts and relational awkwardness. Jesus says, if you have an offering you're trying to bring to the Lord and you have your brother or sister has something against you, not even you have something against them, they have something against you and you know it, work that out. It's hard to be a family. I don't want to be a family where we have a bunch of stuff that's swept under the rug and we like hate each other, and there's all, right? And I don't think we hate each other, but like, like that stuff creeps into communities. I've had, man, we've all had that Thanksgiving. It's hard to engage fully when you're like, I just don't want anyone to bring this up. I'm looking at my phone. I'm whatever. So I want to encourage you guys, man, work stuff out, chat to people. This morning, I had to talk to someone. We had a weird text exchange yesterday. I'm not going to name names. Um, I think it was mostly their fault, but we did work it out. Um, but I forgot to text them back after they apologized, which just feels like the worst thing in the world if you've messed up and then apologized. And, and, and so I said, oh, my, I'm so sorry. I had a long meeting. I'm so glad you're here, and I hope that, you know, and she's, oh, no, it's fine, you know. Um, but, but do that. Again, that could really impact someone's experience or your own experience if you're, like, shoulder checking. And then last but not least, um, I want to encourage, if you're a member of this church, again, I'm not trying to go legalism, bring a physical Bible if you can't afford a physical Bible, we will buy you a physical Bible and put your, pl- your, your phone on Do Not Disturb. Don't use your phone for the Bible, man. Like, I just can't tell you how. None of us can handle it. The phone's designed <laughs> so that you can't pay attention to anything ever, even important stuff. We're running people over on the streets. Literally. I mean, people are dying. Over it. Like, it's, it's distract- if it distracts you when you're driving and it's life or death, it's going to distract you during worship, during the sermon during whatever it is. Does that make sense? Um, but I do want to encourage you, bring a journal with your Bible, a little one. Write down. If you're like, I want to look that verse up. I don't know if Andy might have made that up. I want to look that up later. Write it down. I'm not trying to keep you from Googling stuff I'm saying. Google it later. Just write it down. And then uh, GTD, Google that thing, okay? Uh, do that. I'm serious, fam. Like this week, if there's one application point, buy a CSB Bible. It's the one we use to be helpful for Sundays. And then get a journal. And if you need help, we would love to help you buy one of those things or both of those things, um, man, to be present, okay? Again, do not disturb. You can put, if there's emergency contacts, all that stuff, you guys know how it works. There's a way to f- fix it. If you don't know, some people here used to work at Apple would love to help you, uh, and, and Grant would love to help you too, he told me. So I, I just, guys, we will get out of this what we put into it, and, and we need to get something out of this in the culture we live in. Like, we're not going to make it on our own. We need each other. We need this gathering. We need this story rehearsed. If we look back at the passage in Hebrews I looked at, 
want you to just close your eyes for a second. I just want to read this over you. The author of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. What I want to say to you tonight is because Jesus had his body torn apart like that curtain in the temple, you and I have access to the God of that temple always. Sit with that for a second. That sin you still wrestle with, that addiction you have, it's not keeping you out of his throne room. The shame you're carrying today over I don't even know what, it's not keeping you out of his throne room. Shame about that stuff could be keeping you from that throne room, but I want to tell you today, Jesus has taken your shame, and the sooner you come into the throne room, the faster you're going to be set free from the power of sin and brokenness in your life. And so there's a privilege. Jesus is inviting us to a new special relationship. It's a new season. It's a new covenant. So as we come to communion, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you've trusted in this Jesus who sacrificed himself for you as the sacrifice and as the priest to draw you into the temple, into God's presence. I want to encourage you to take communion. And as you do, I want to encourage you to thank Jesus for doing that, for cleansing you. Holy Spirit, I pray you give the gift of a clear conscience in this room today. If people need to confess some stuff, they would do that. They'd confess it to you and they'd move forward. They need to confess to someone else, they'd do that and they'd move forward. But that no one would just be sitting here in guilt and shame. There's nothing your cross can't cover. There's nothing you can't handle. There's nothing that's too bad. And so as we come to communion, would you let us know we're truly welcome. You're not hesitantly calling us to yourself when we gather, you joyfully are calling us to yourself. You're the father who runs out toward the, s- the son who knows he doesn't deserve to be in the father's house. And you say, get in here. I love you. This is why I sent Jesus. So God, in light of your pursuit of us, would we pursue you now through communion? And God, would you empower us to be people who pursue you through this gathering? Would we be people who take this gathering seriously? We'd have reverence for it because we have reverence for you. and all that you did to wash us and cleanse us and draw us near. You wanted us near. Will we, will we come near to you? It's your name we pray. Amen.